0: Welcome to the Proximo Weekly Podcast, news, interviews, and analysis for the energy infrastructure and project finance markets. I am Tom Nelthorpe, an editor here at Proximo, and I'd like to thank you for listening in. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to us through Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, or any other platform you care mention. Uh, This week, we're going to take a look at the world of sustainability-linked loans and explore what their relevance will be to the project and infrastructure finance market. Energy infrastructure sponsors are turning to sustainability-linked debt issues as never before. In 2021, issuance, according to some estimates, stood at around $500 of which loans accounted for around 80% and bonds the rest. The product has emerged as a key way for corporates to demonstrate their green credentials to investors and for banks and investors to point to their ability to drive improvements in ESG performance in society. Uh, It's important to say up front that we're not Discussing the universe of green loans or bonds, those debt instruments potentially overlap with um, sustainability loans, but generally do not have features like pricing changes um, and sustainability link loans can be used for projects or assets that don't necessarily qualify as green under any of the major taxonomies, but just want to do better in terms of ESG. The basic outlines of sustainability-linked debt are relatively straightforward. Borrowers receive benefits in pricing, um, typically for meeting defined ESG targets. But the mechanics are a bit more complex. How are these targets specified? How ambitious are they? Um, And how easy is it to monitor compliance? Make the process too burdensome, and issuers might abandon the product, make it too easy. Uh, And there is always in the background the potential for accusations of greenwashing. These issues are particularly acute in energy and infrastructure finance markets. Energy sponsors have used sustainability and green debt um, to build new renewable capacity, but often that's by using their balance sheet or leveraging conventional assets. So are sustainability-linked issues suitable products for greenfield non-recourse projects? And there's the labeling even necessary for some of the most sustainable projects. Joining me to talk through some of these issues is is Jennifer Charles, a senior associate in Watson, Farley & Williams Energy and Infrastructure Group in London. Jennifer's experience covers both domestic um, and international projects, and she's even spent some time, I believe, on secondment working in-house at a bank. Now, when I was putting together research for this project, I read a lot of articles on the on the subject of sustainability-linked debt, and a huge majority of them have been written by bank finance rather than project finance lawyers. So I'm really, really excited to have someone with Jennifer's skill set here to talk through some of the burning issues in sustainability-linked debt. Uh, welcome, Jennifer. Which issuers have been the largest users of sustainability-linked loans yet, and which do you think... Um which would you have expected to be more active and maybe?
1: Well, I think it's, it's probably fair to say that it's been an incredibly broad range of issuers um, and borrowers that have accessed this market already. So you're sort of seeing a range of telecoms, pharma, energy, mining, supermarkets, consumer goods, the service industry, um, a real, real broad range, heavy industry um just basically because it's open to any issuer um it's not like the green bond and green loan market as you touched on earlier it's it really does cover the broad range of companies it isn't so much the um industries of the issuer it's the types of issuer that have accessed the market so far so you're really looking at quite large corporates listed entities you're sort of um your footsies, um, real significant companies with significant balance sheets, multi-jurisdictional operations, those types of entities. Um, So in terms of ones that probably haven't really maximized the impact of um, this financial product so far, I'd probably say it's... um, uh, smaller entities, um, sort of mid-sized, mid-cap entities. Um, and then as we're going to touch on the more sort of um, special purpose entities, they haven't really accessed this market yet. It's very much mean, been the sort of top level funds and and entities accessing these products in their sort of their RCFs, their, their global bond issuances. Um, it, it, it's sort of also worth saying as well that um, companies, I think, that are on the sort of, the dirtier end of the scale, in the sense of being as far away from a green bond issuance as possible, could probably maximize this market more than any other, because they have the biggest potential to create those stretching targets compared to other entities, um, whether that's on the environmental front, the social and social and governance front. Um, but I think there's there's real untapped potential there for those entities that possibly haven't realized the extent to which they can they can tap liquidity in this particular market.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. And one quick follow up. And it was it was very clear from your your answers that this was this was something that was particularly attractive to listed um, corporates. Is there any yeah. reason why private capital isn't isn't looking at that? Is it just simply that it prefers a more sort of bilateral discussion of ESG with its with its investors? Or, or is it just simply the demand and the culture, isn't it?
1: Obviously, when you're a listed entity and you're, um, you've are you got that reputational, that public aspect to your, to your trading, there's absolutely no reason why private players in the market couldn't set up sustainability-linked financing. And that would also potentially satisfy the demand of funds and investors who are looking to deploy their capital in sustainability-linked financings. But obviously, there's also just a lot more information on that's publicly available in the sense of of the large corporates that are accessing this type of financing. Um, so, yeah, the the general leaning has been obviously those big entities go first, and then there's a sort of trickle down effect when other smaller entities, private players, and then ultimately the SPVs start to access these products. I think it's a natural development in the way that the way that financings and and sort of new products to the market really develop.
0: Thanks, and and so. We'll we'll look now at one of the sort of the big 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 questions that people have is that you know at the heart of 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 SLls there's a um, system sustainability target and there's a pricing benefit for that and I'm yeah. I'm going to generalize wildly and say the ones I've seen have typically had about uh, you know a quarter of a percent so twenty five basis points and and that that seems to be quite common and there's a bit of a debate on whether these benefits are you know large whether they're material um and whether they matter and I appreciate this is this is perhaps the impact is going to vary borrower by borrower. So if you've got very very low borrowing costs already, that's going to be you know, that's going to be material. But for again, for a lot of non-recourse issuers, that's not a huge amount. Do you, could uh, could you sort of explain briefly what the what the trends are in terms of the the, the pricing benefits or I guess the, the premiums you have to pay, and whether there are there is a movement afoot to to make those a little bit more ambitious?
1: do you mean ambitious in the sense of the uh, the sort of the reward for meeting targets or the the penalty for not meeting those targets being extended so exactly. i think i agree yeah we sort of see like, i think a 5 to 15 bips range is kind of a bit more standard i think 25 would be i would say in my opinion that would be quite high um but it, it, like you say it's it's very very dependent on the particular issuer and their primary driver. So it may not be a pricing benefit. If you're looking at sort of shaving five bips off a margin for some of these entities, margins are already um, sort of pretty, pretty low at the moment, given the sort of strength and, and volume of liquidity in the market. So quite often the driver isn't that pricing benefit necessarily. It's those wider Satisfying investors, delivering um, delivering to shareholders, delivering to the community, um, real sort of development in sustainability. Um, But I I do think I I completely agree. And, And if you are looking at a market that's sort of developing rapidly, like we said, obviously large and powerful sponsors are always going to to push the to push the boundaries and push the pricing and actually start to gain um real pricing sort of slightly more meaty pricing benefits from achieving these targets but probably the the sort of the other side to that is the more the pricing goes up then investors and shareholders and banks and bondholders are really going to expect the KPIs to be genuinely stretching i know that certainly under the icma principles the entire recommended point of these um, KPIs is that they should be stretching and they should be ambitious in order to justify a pricing benefit. But I think if you're starting to get into real um, real um, sort of valuable margin adjustments, then I think that will probably bring the focus back to, to exactly how challenging those targets are that these companies are setting for themselves.
0: And I'm just I'm I'm old enough to remember rating agency triggers and the sort of the death spiral that those sometimes induced in borrowers. That essentially you'd um you'd see signs of excess, you'd ask them to post additional collateral or maybe have, have pricing increases, and that would almost be a sort of a self-reinforcing issue. Do we need to worry about any mechanisms like that in, in sustainability borrowers? So essentially. They don't meet their targets, possibly because you know the business isn't isn't healthy enough to support uh, whatever improvements or investments they were going to do, and in in return they get punished with even higher debt service costs. Is is that something we're about, or does the does the size mean that it's unlikely to be very material?
1: Yeah, I think ultimately yes, at the moment, and certainly even if it did. Um, increase in in the number of basis points that we were talking about in these ratchets was still not in the world of sort of causing credit issues for these companies, I don't think. Um, and ultimately, that's not that's not really the point and the emphasis of these types of loans. The The idea is to drive change. There is kind of a there's a moral element to it that really hasn't been seen in, in these kind of um, in these industries and these financial products before, it, it wouldn't really fit with the drive that these investors are leading to be punishing companies and causing them issues. Yes, you you want them to have real consequences if they don't achieve these targets, but it would sort of be self-defeating if you were going to to put the company into any kind of financial difficulty if they didn't meet those targets. It should be that the targets have simply been so stretching that it might not have been possible on a practical basis to meet them at a a particular review date um, rather than sort of changing the way a business is going to have to conduct itself. It's not going to interfere in that sense. Um, But I think actually we'll probably come back to this. This issue is probably going to be so much more relevant if you're talking about project financing. Um, rather than the sort of big listed funds that we're talking about because they simply have the scale that these pricing adjustments can probably be be absorbed and certainly be um, controlled from the outset with relationship lenders that's not really the case when you're looking at a at a single project financing, so and, I and probably... you,
0: yeah, <laughs> we will we will look at that and in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But just I guess um, a couple of final ones about general market market mechanics. The first is I think you'd mentioned ICMA's role in um, uh, sort of creating um, some kind of common understanding. I'm I'm using very vague phrasing there in the sustainability yeah. link lines. Could you just talk to us just a little bit about what um, what the sign what signs there are of um, Convergence isn't too strong a term, but but sort of a set standard of common standards for sustainability loans in the market.
1: Yeah, I think any kind of um, consistency is good because to date, there's been a lot of variation. There hasn't really been a a common taxonomy, as we call it, to define exactly the the KPIs the um, the testing programs, the verification standards, those types of things. So the LMA has sort of joined, um, has followed ICMA as well certainly in the UK, um, in sort of producing a, a set of global definitions that can be used. Um, the ICMA principles are certainly the, the ones that everyone has sort of based a lot of their provisions on. And I think they're being widely adopted in the market so that there is at least consistency across products. That's particularly helpful, for example, for the banks who are investing in across all of the different industries and different entities, because it enables them to at least have um objective comparators between those different products to ensure that they are at least providing a consistent approach um, across the industries. And that then um, is obviously a good thing for transparency. It's a good thing for holding um, companies to account when it comes to the shareholders, because at least if they know that there's a, a, a standard set of parameters out there and when everyone is using a certain type of terminology, um, they know that it is it's used in a consistent sense across the board. And I think that um, avoids Well, not entirely avoids, but certainly goes some way to avoiding issues that have arisen in the green loan market with the accusations of greenwashing, etc. Because there isn't really a a standard as to what you mean by a green loan. So at least with sustainability linked loans, if you know that when you say you have um, a a KPI that relates to uh, an EU directive, or the Paris Agreement, or that you are yeah, using a certain the use of the term environment or social governance. Um, at least you can point to a sort of external source and what exactly you mean by that, and how that's going to relate to your company. So I think, yeah, uh, common standards, transparency is obviously a really good thing for the market. And I think um, certainly all players on all sides uh, seem to be very keen for the for these taxonomies and these definitions to be developed and followed because it it it's beneficial for all players really.
0: Your assumption would have to be that as as labelling gets gets better, that, that the market is going to gain you know, quite a lot of credibility.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's already credible in the sense, but I, I, I think you sort of have to remember as well how how much liquidity there is in the market at the moment, how excited people are about these products, and how much sort of capital investors have, and they they want it to be deployed in this area. So, sort of firming up um taxonomies and principles in the same way as you just mentioned with the green loan market it yeah it just has to be a good thing but i think the pace of change might also mean that um people aren't necessarily going to wait for it develop to develop in that way and they are going to be happy to lend on a on a more bespoke basis um to these companies who are going to produce their own principles and have their own guidance it not necessarily going to be that anyone's going to wait for the development of the um the common standards i think the the market is is active enough and and keen enough to move forward and and develop its own practice as well um which is a good thing uh, yeah.
0: too okay so let's look now at, at, at the you know the 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 bread and butter um particularly proximo, and i think i think for your practice and that that sort of project development and finance and and you know yeah. it gets drilled into very early on in the in the learning stage for project finance that you have an SPV at the middle. It's you know it lacks a it's almost a central nervous system. There's a series of contractual arrangements with external parties. I mean, this is if you're if you're going to try and hold something, you know, to a, a set of targets, and that something really doesn't have its own sort of corporate personhood. That that strikes me as a bit difficult, or or as actually possible to to sort of allocate meeting sustainability to to you know, outside entities.
1: Either or. I think it's obviously challenging, like you say, the sort of the controlled contractual matrix, the financial model, the level of lender control, the level of control over um, any kind of contractual discretion that the project company has over the course of its operations. All of those things go against um, a company being able to adapt its operations to be more sustainable. If you ultimately limit the flexibility in all ways of a project company, how is it then supposed to um, make meaningful and challenging changes um, to its business so that is sort of the ultimate challenge to start with but given everything we've just said there is absolutely no reason why um, sustainability wouldn't be open to to the project's market as well it might just have to be sort of slightly adapted from the global corporate um method of defining it and applying it to the to the loans and it's also worth mentioning as well obviously the liquidity in the projects and particularly in the energy space is also is still extremely high so there are funds investors and banks that are sort of willing to consider new products and um, and, and look at different um, pricing strategies etc even in the, the sort of in the ultra-controlled project space so I think what you're going to be looking at is opportunities with um, your uh, contracting strategy, with your operations phase, and if contracts are up for renewal, Um, you're going to be looking to possibly pre-build in some flexibility for the project company to meet those targets, if you're actually applying it to the project company itself. Um, You're obviously going to have to control this through the financial model, and the lenders are going to want to run sensitivities. So if you are going to um, make the debt more expensive that's obviously a, a risk to project finance lenders they they would sort of be shooting themselves in the foot in in one sense um in including a, a sort of increase in the margin for a project company if it didn't meet its targets so I think lenders would be very careful about the number of basis points that the margin may increase um and then obviously your your lender control is still going to be at a much higher level than I think it would be for a a general corporate. So your verification, um, getting your technical advisor involved, environmental consultants, all those types of people will probably be more involved in any kind of verification than you would otherwise see with a a corporate level with a very strong sponsor where in some cases we're actually seeing very strong sponsors resist external verification entirely. Um, I can't see that ever being the case with a With a project financing just because of that level of sort of
0: tighter control certification and verification like these have to be external in a a project financing so that whole tension between big corporates that don't want people poking around that doesn't really exist in a a, 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 on a project deal one thing you, you mentioned was this idea of driving change in in sort of sustainability practices I would would assume that that change can be at the at the sponsor level, so you don't necessarily have to see a a project level intro, improvement, right? And um, but but would it be possible? I don't know for a gas plant to have um, you know a heat rate target, so they are operating as efficiently as they can, or for a, a hospital or a building to you know have to get lead certification and, and meet sort of efficiency standards. Do you think yeah. these are targets that that could work in in our world as it were?
1: Yeah, but I think you would already be looking at controlling those type of features through your OM arrangements, you would be setting those targets for your contractors. So you could bring it in, in that sense, um, that actually, the project company needs to kind of push its contractors and manage its contractors in such a way to meet a target, um, or equally like sort of impose it on the sponsors, um, do something with the sponsors equity obligations. Um, that either are are, are sort of reduced or discounted in some way if they are able to to ensure that the contractors um, meet stretching targets in terms of operation. And I think you hit on a really key point there that um, obviously you mentioned at the start, will this be applicable to greenfield project finance? But what about brownfield project finance? There's real potential there for um, sustainability targets when you are sort of either Um, making changes to an existing plant. So for example, if you were going to refinance and restructure a gas plant to bring in a new technology that was much more efficient, you're then getting into areas where you're sort of actually able to identify specific targets that you could bring in um, in terms of how you're going to manage the project and and do something that um, is good from an environmental perspective. Another thing that you could do... um, on a project level, and either looking to the sponsors, the contractor, or the project company itself, is we focus so far very much on the environmental and sort of climate change things. But obviously, there are there are other limbs to the sustainability financing in the social and the governance um, aspects of of ESG. Um, So could the project company be required to um, allocate certain of its freely distributable cash to social causes? Could it um, have to carry out supply chain audits to make sure that its supply chain is uh, free of, um, sort of oppressed labor, etc. There's so many different areas that fit into the sustainability criteria. It's more just about how do you actually take those and turn them into, um, a, a margin, effectively a margin ratchet in a, in a project financing, which is sort of, um, Slightly uh, allergic to change over the course of project financing, so there's there's huge opportunity there, um, but with a bit of flexibility, I think, and um, a willingness to to come up with sort of novel clauses and novel structures from both lenders and borrowers, I think it's a it's a fairly large and untapped
0: market. I mean, I, I could see so much in, in in your remarks that sort of would would apply very well to mining, and I'm having to resist because mining is a, a relatively small share of the global project market. Does a sustainability-linked loan have to have that that pricing range? Because I, I, I through my head was spinning the idea that well, we have the the tried and tested project finance cash trap that would be ideal for in, enforcing sort of good behavior on a on a on a set of sponsors or group that they don't meet the targets the cash doesn't get released or Investor's not necessarily going to be that enthused about a, a feature like that.
1: I think um, given that the ultimate sort of aim for the investors on a project uh, financing and the sponsors is to avoid that cash trap that would certainly be the that would be an even larger incentive I think than any kind of pricing ratchet because pricing on projects is so highly controlled so you're sort of it's almost like a, a negative um, a, a sort of penalty avoidance if they meet these targets then the cash is freely distributable if you don't meet these targets then it's, it's locked up um, I would imagine strong Sponsors will will really dislike that kind of attitude, but if they want to to access the potential for, um, I don't know, potential um, coverage ratios being. Um, lowered or your testing regime being relaxed or uh, I don't know some kind of other reward other than a pricing I, I think there's lots of there's so many different aspects to a project financing and aspects to the control that there's no reason that it has to just be a margin adjustment but obviously I think that's that would be very much a sort of change to the market because sustainability at the linked loans at the moment are very much based on on the um the margin ratchets um but yeah because project finance is so different to the to to other types of corporate financing there's no reason you couldn't get a bit creative and and bring in these mechanisms through a different aspect of project financing
0: yeah so better better monitoring, more levers let's look a little bit now at, and, and I'm gonna gonna go back to what we mentioned earlier on and that's the role of private capital um infrastructure funds, general private equity funds in in, in increasingly are these entities that are likely to drive the use of sustainability link link linked loans in, in our space
1: yeah i I absolutely think so. I think that's because of the point we made sort of uh, at the start of this the demand led um demand led sort of growth even at the big corporate level has very much been from funds and investors from funds who have investors too satisfied that they are meeting certain um, criteria, criteria in the application of their capital. And I think that is absolutely the case in, in project finance as well, um, where um, the offshore wind market is a really good example. Funds, um, previous players that would not have invested in uh, in that market have become fairly active in the secondary equity market because they're seeing attractive returns. And they're also seeing a really attractive prospect for their investors um, and satisfying the the targets that Either the investors or they've set for themselves in terms of um, sustainable financing. So I think it, yeah, it applies across the board. And I think um, they're the ones with the sort of the more um, vocal and active investor base um, will always be the ones that are going to drive the change. So if you've got the real incentive from those people that you have to that you have to keep happy in your fund, um, obviously that that then drives. Um, drives opportunity and sponsors that then say right we see that you've got these investors who want these products Um, whilst we haven't applied these mechanics to this type of financing previously um, would you be interested and um, we'll sort of get get a bit creative and and it actually ends up being quite beneficial for for all parties. I think it's obviously only going to really work on probably quite large-scale project financings. Um, You really do need uh, a financing that's going to have the equivalent of an operational history after a a couple of years. Um, So you are looking at probably quite sizable project financings. I can't really see this ever applying to to sort of small anaerobic digestion small renewables plants solar etc i think you are looking as you said as like big mining projects conventional power offshore wind um big infrastructure projects that that have real potential and effectively become operating entities um w- with sizable with sizable industry and operations after a, a short space of time
0: i'd like to put sort of one one final question to you and that's really whether Whether infrastructure project finance is likely to be a main or even a significant sort of growth pathway for the sustainability-linked loan market, is that likely, or do you think large corporates who can you put together some fairly large bags of metrics somehow in terms of what sometimes in terms of what they do, are those going to be the guys that that sort of keep driving this, or or do you think project infrastructure finance could be a, a a sort of decent component?
1: Um, I think not a not a sizable component. I think this is going to continue to be really the bag of the the large corporates and the the big listed funds, etc. But there's no reason why those entities in particular, um, they are often... Well, not often, but they are sort of frequently, they are the sponsors in project financing. They may have project financings in their portfolio of operations. And I think if you're seeing it at your your corporate level that you can really gain advantages from this type of product, when you're next then looking at a particular industry, you may then look to apply it more widely to To project financing. So I don't think project financing is ever going to sort of um, be the main component of this type of loan. Um, But I think if you work in the project finance sphere and you invest in the project finance sphere, I think this is going to become a really hot topic um, and become a sort of a new method of making project finance work for you. So uh, yeah, other way around. I don't think project finance is ever going to drive the bus on the wider the wider world of sustainability-linked financing, but I think sustainability-linked financing is going to have a big impact on the on the project finance sphere over the next couple of over the next couple of years and, and hopefully beyond.
0: And I, I think we, we're all going to have to watch with interest how that how this market evolves. And um, Jennifer Charles Watson farley Williams, thank you so much for you, for your insights. It's been really really interesting. And um, hearing your thoughts and hearing you um, respond to some of my more left field. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so really appreciate it
1: thank you very much Tom it was a pleasure um, to be here
0: so that's it for this week and um, thank you very much for listening and um, thanks to my colleague uh, Thomas Hopkins for his assistance in putting together this episode and um, that's it for now and goodbye